Welcome everyone to this November evening meditation service. Uh, the period between Sagaki and the Great Satori, which is November into December, is where we have sort of Americanized it to some degree. It's traditionally a tradition this time of the year to kind of uh, and, uh, to focus on the paramitas or the paramitas. Uh, but, you know, one of the great things about our nation is this celebration we call Thanksgiving. Now, I know most people associate it with just, you know, eating lots of turkey or watching football games and taking long naps after, after a big meal. Or, as was the case for us, it was often an opportunity for us to share with others, particularly those that um, have less. So it was always a, a great opportunity to either uh, provide food and meals to people that were homeless or to invite people, you know, from the Sangha into our home who didn't have any family uh, with which to celebrate. And, you know, this, this celebration of Thanksgiving, you know, was made popular um, by Lincoln. And he considered it a way to sort of help unite the country once again. And so it's a very special, special ceremony of giving thanks. And boy, Thanksgiving, it's what we call it in our liturgy, the Thanksgiving. It, it is a great great cultivation of the most important practice we have, which is gratitude. And so I like to take the month or the period between the season of Sagaki and entering into the season of Satori, the Feast of Enlightenment from the Fast of Sagaki. I like to really focus on the meaning of Thanksgiving. And so I am going to share some talks with you on that that I hope you will find helpful and that, uh, also uh, I will invite uh, from our order uh, one of our Shuzos, maybe one of our Oshos to share as well. So tonight's talk I, I really want to I want to discuss what it means, uh, two parts for me, what it means to be thankful and on our altar we have the Horn of Plenty. And that horn of plenty is a symbol of um, the, the great bounty with which we have been blessed. And, you know, for primitive people who lived according to the seasons, which were most of our ancestors for thousands of years. You know, the, the harvest time was a very special time, but it was also a time that could be filled with some apprehension. And not knowing whether the stores of foods that they had gathered would last them through the winter. And it was also the time where the light, the sun, which early people did venerate and worship, you might say, as the life giver, was also now becoming less. And of course, the, the great celebrations of light that we find throughout the world, including Buddhism, is held during the time of year in temperate climes, where light begins to return once again. 
But this, this in-between period was a time of giving thanks for what they had. And I always thought it was quite remarkable, you know, and like I say, that symbol of the Horn of Plenty to me was always representative of the idea that was something uniquely human, and that was the quality of saying yes to life. To say yes to life in the midst of what might be death. And, and this is really important, really, really important. We have a tendency that when we are faced with challenges or we feel like we're not going to have enough, we have a tendency to develop a mindset of poverty. In other words, we begin to think about what we don't have. You know, we start looking at what we actually do have and think, oh, good Lord, what am I going to do? It's not going to be enough. And I know exactly what that feels like. Being a humble priest all of my life, my income has never been certain. And so I know what this feels like, the apprehension and sometimes the anxiety that can create not knowing whether your coffers will be filled whether you will have enough. And so, well, I'm sure my experience of that doesn't compare to my ancestors. I can relate. Humans are still the same as they were thousands of years ago. We haven't changed that much. And so what are we called to in the Dharma? And I think it's exemplified in why we put the Horn of Plenty on our altar. What are we called to? Well, we're not called to this mind of poverty. We're not called to this mind that says, look what I don't have. And in fact, people are always saying when something challenging comes before them in life, they'll say, oh, I, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to do this. And my father, the great patron of our order, Titan, his Dharma name, used to say to me that the real question isn't, or the real statement isn't, you know, the question isn't, can I afford this? He would always say, can I afford not to? Let me say that again. He would always say that the real question is not, can I afford this or not? The real question is, can I afford not to? And I believe that that line leads us closer to the meaning that is conveyed through the Dharma. That we are not to ever have hearts and minds of poverty. To think that somehow we don't have enough. When the truth is we have everything. There is a great poem that is sometimes read in liturgy, particularly in the Zen schools, where it tells the story of two children who have gotten lost and wandered far away from home. But before they left home on their journey, their father that night 
secretly sewed into their garments gold coins. But he never had the opportunity to tell them. And so when these children got lost, they, they eventually ended up beggars, never realizing that gold was sewn into their, their clothing. Then we're like those children. We go about the world thinking that we don't have enough. We can't afford to do this. We're cowards. We're not courageous, we're cowardly. But the Dharma calls us, the word of liberation calls us to freedom and freedom from cowardice. Pusillanimous. Pusillanimity, is that a word? It calls us to courage, the courage to be all that we may be. And to remember that we have everything that we need. And we call this treasure Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Our true self is the treasure that we were born with. Becoming a Buddha is our destiny. But we forget. And I understand, don't get me wrong, man. I'm guilty of it as anybody else. I get into that place of a mind of poverty rather than a mind of plenty. And I think, oh God, why am I able to afford this? Oh God, can I do this? And I like to think throughout the span of my wife my life, my wife's here, she can she can she can testify whether it's true or not. I think I have always eventually turned to the plenty. The mind of the plenty even when there were times that it didn't seem possible and so were you sometimes when I would forget and I would start to come with this mind of poverty and I can't afford this I can't do that she would remind me she would make that clear I'll never forget when we were first moving here and I wasn't sure what I was gonna do where we were going to go, and I had very little resources at that time, and I started doing the mindfulness counseling. And I was actually working out of my father's office in downtown Harrisburg at night using his office. And I remember my very first week of doing it, and I had three clients, you know, and I was like, wow, this is going to be great, you know. Well, guess what happened? One client got sick, one client had to reschedule, and one client just didn't show up. <laughs> and so I went from thinking, yeah, man, this is going to work, baby, to shoot. <laughs> what the hell am I going to do? I have a wife and a son to take care of. What am I going to do? A little boy. And so there were no cell phones, and I called my wife from the office, and she said, I know that you were called to do this, and I believe in you. 
and I'll believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself. And she said, well, I want you to do because she knows how much I love movies. She said, I want you to go to the movie theater and I want you to take, get a ticket and go sit and watch a movie. And I want you to forget about all this and just enjoy the film. Have a respite. And the first thing I said to her was, we can't afford that. I can't afford to go to the movies. <laughs> and she just said, do it. Unfortunately, I heard the voice of the Buddha coming from her beautiful lips and bowed. And by golly, I went to the movie theater. I don't even remember the movie. Bought a ticket and went in and had my respite. And so I know what it feels like. I know what it's like, believe me, to be in those places. And it's happened many, many times. And practice really isn't so much about not knowing something and then knowing it. It's about knowing it and then applying it. And it takes courage. It takes faith. But once you do that, once you, once you realize that everything you need, you already have. And there's nothing that anyone can give you or take from you that you don't already essentially have. And that is your true self. That no one can take that from you and no one can add to it. And there's nothing you can do to lose it. And there's nothing you can do to gain it. It is a gift. A grace. And so I would call all of you during this time to embrace the plenty that is within you. Don't ask yourself, can I afford to do this? Ask yourself, can I afford not to? And with courage, great courage, make that act of faith. I'll finish with one last saying. There's an old famous American Indian story where they would take young boys as they were 12 years old and, and becoming adults and they would test them. But the tests were always there to challenge their minds and they knew at the same time they would be safe. So one of the tests famously was that they would take them in a very dark moonless night to a cliff and the, the, the medicine man would stand on the other side and say to the young boy, the young man, you have to jump across the chasm. In order to become a man, you must jump across this chasm. And of course, you know, in the pitch black, and they had never been there before, they have oh, no idea. They're thinking this cliff, my God, you know. I could die. Well, that's the whole point. And you know what the words of the medicine man were? Jump. It's not as far as you think. And of course, they would make that leap, gird up their courage, and jump, leaping 
into the voice of the Holy One who was guiding them. And then they would fall on the other side. They did it. And the father would come and embrace his son and the mother and they would, he's now a man. And the next day, it had to be kept a secret. The father took the young man up to the cliff and he showed him that it was about a three foot drop and about four feet wide. <laughs> and I always loved that story because I thought, oh, God, what a great metaphor. What a great metaphor for the realities of life, right? You've all experienced it. You've, you've taken that leap of faith. You've had the courage to do that. And when you got to the other side, you realize, oh, wow, I made this a lot more difficult in my mind than it really was. And so that's what I'm saying to you tonight, finally. Hear the words of the Buddha, Shakyamuni, the great liberator. Hear the words of him calling you to your true self. And jump. It's not as far as you think.